Hello, everyone. You're listening to The Katie Helper Show, and I'm your host, Katie Helper. If you like the show, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. And as always, remind you that this show could not happen without the support of our listeners. To support the show, visit patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show, where for just $1 a month, you can help make the show happen. And for $5 a month, you'll qualify for great bonus content, including an alternative podcast feed and rarely seen clips that aired on our live shows. Welcome to the Katie Helper Show. We're about to bring in the guests who are amazing. Brad, can you come on and give a quick reaction to that? Because I know you have lots of feelings. And then I'll bring in the guests. I think the only way that I could have gotten through that is with all of us here together reminding me that I'm not like uniquely insane and that, yeah, actually all of this stuff is objectively untrue. But I know I said it in the comments and the chat, but I think it bears repeating. And I could be proven wrong about this, but I really do think that it would be an interesting exercise to revisit one of his past State of the Union addresses when the Democrats had the ability to actually do some of these things and compare his rhetoric then with his rhetoric now when none of this is going to get done because it's not going to pass the Senate. And I I would just strongly suspect that back when it could have been done, he probably wouldn't be reading a speech that literally sounds like the Cliff's Notes from one of Bernie's speeches to a large degree. Right. I mean, I don't know. I know that a lot of people here understand that, but I don't know. Do you think that a lot of the mainstream audience would have that perspective or understand those things? No, I don't think so. But we have some guests coming on who I think do have that perspective. So Yes, yes, absolutely. With that as a transition, we're going to bring on Norman Solomon from Roots Action and Medea Benjamin from Code Pink. Welcome. Hey, hi. Hi, how are you? We're well, as well as could be after the speech. Yeah, what what are your thoughts on what we just oh. saw? Well, uh, if one came in from uh, another planet and just listened to it and didn't know anything about the last two years or the last 50 years, then um, it would sound pretty damn good if you would exclude like one third of it was just jingoistic stuff one way or the other. But uh, I think it's the contrast between his actual record and what he was espousing. I I do take the point that the less likely it is Congress to enact some of the best stuff that he was advocating, um, the more vehement he has tended to seem to be. Uh, The last part of the speech was horrible. The uh, militarism and the... uh, disguising U.S. imperial military uh, desires as some sort of national security. I mean, that is just so dangerous. Medea, what do you think? Oh, I would quote the great uh, Greta Thunberg saying, blah, blah, blah. You know, heard it all before, heard it in the last State of the Union. Uh, Sounds like the same old stuff um and i was yeah i mean i guess it was good that he didn't do, talk too much about ukraine because uh it would have been even worse to hear him talk more about that um 
you know, U.S. defense of democracy around the world is so ridiculous when you think of what the U.S. gives to Israel every year and what the U.S. Uh, has been doing to supply the bombs to Saudi Arabia to kill the people in Yemen and the almost $2 billion we give every year to Egypt and on and on and on. So that, you know, supporting democracy around the world stuff just doesn't go over very well with me. And yeah, I guess like Norman said, I mean, when they had control of uh, Congress and could have done this stuff, um, it would have been nice. And instead, they wait till they can't do it to then talk about what they want to do, knowing that they can't do it. Yeah. Among many of the things that just, to put it mildly, sticks in the moral craw is about the, who knows, sincere compassion for children and those who are suffering from egregious um, illnesses. And you just think of Yemen, for starters. I mean, what is the double think going on here that if somebody is a U.S. citizen, then it is just so important and painful, which it is when a child is suffering, dies, elderly are left to wither away from lack of health care or nutrition. And then meanwhile, fist bump, uh, the guy who's leading the way to slaughter people in Yemen. Right. Ahmed bin Salman, yeah, MBS, right. Yeah, yeah, and then, uh, you know, all this stuff about Buy American and, uh, you know, our manufacturing sector is back again. Of course, you know, what I think of is weapon sales and how that's a thriving manufacturing sector and a thriving export uh, that the U.S. is now known for around the world. But in terms of real manufacturing of what people need and what's needed for this planet to deal with the climate crisis, uh, we are certainly not the world's leader when it comes to manufacturing those kinds of things. We're the leader in manufacturing consent in America, which is nice. Yeah, that is true. Yeah. We are very good at doing that. Yeah. I just want to bring in, we have another guest I want to bring in, but then I'll throw it back to you, Norman. Uh, we also have joining us Daniel Bessner, the historian Daniel Bessner. Hi, Danny. You're joined by Medea Benjamin and Norman Solomon and Gareth Reynolds. I think you know that already, but. Yes, yes. Thank you. So very anxious to hear your thoughts. Just want to let Norman finish what he was saying, and then we'll throw to you, Danny. One of the many things that jumped out was fairly early on in the speech tonight, Biden said, I ran for president so things would fundamentally change. And I think that's a great example where speaking to tens of millions of people where the status quo is understood to be unacceptable for most people, he's saying that he ran so things would fundamentally change. And we know that he didn't know that he would be actually quoted and exposed to have said it, but he told funders, big funders, when he was running for president in 2020, that nothing would fundamentally change. And that was the goal of his campaign. What are your thoughts, Danny? It's interesting. So I'm writing a piece right now on Fukuyama. Well, I guess I'd leave it up to you to th uh, find out if it's interesting. I'm writing a piece on Fukuyama right now. And it's hard not to conclude that in some sense he was correct in the sense that liberalism... Not everyone knows who Fukuyama is or what the end of history is. So could you just give a... Yeah. Let me just explain briefly. So Fukuyama argued that um, when the United States, quote unquote, won the Cold War, and of course, none of us 
believe in that simple narrative. But when uh, it won the Cold War, liberalism had emerged as the quote unquote final ideology. Uh, and he called this the end of history because he was referencing this German philosopher. But he was just essentially claiming that the liberal way to approach the world was really the only way. You know, it, it, he might have even said if you're being the most moral, it wouldn't be the way. But in actual history, only liberalism rules. Uh, and in some sense, I think Fukuyama was right, as represented by this speech, because like my colleagues here were saying, it's the same old, same old crap. And the sad thing is no one even believes it anymore. It's not like people believe the United States is going to do these things. I saw Will Menica from Chapo um, on Twitter say something along the lines of Biden promised, you know, replace American infrastructure or what have you. Um, and that's what every president has promised in my lifetime. I hope they get it done this time. So I think this is a consensus. I think people basically don't believe in it, but there's been no real ideological challenge to it. And so I think that that basically accounts for why everyone feels a little nuts these days, because the emperor has no clothes and there's nothing we can do about it. And not the, and the, the naked emperor, you know, our gerontocratic leader, gets up there, says the same old crap in the same exact way. No one believes it, yet here we are. And so I think it really speaks to our moment of political paralysis, um, that he doesn't even feel compelled to, to come up with a better lie. He's just basically telling the rubes the same old story. So it's it's really grim. Um, and I think it's, it's sort of like a, this rictus grin on Biden's face makes it even more grim in this sort of grotesque way. And what are your thoughts in general? I mean, we're obviously reacting to the State of the Union speech. And Gareth, if you have anything to add, just jump in. But what are your thoughts in general on some of these issues? I mean, Biden's foreign policy, recent events with China, the proxy war in Ukraine. Sure. I mean, I think the Biden foreign policy is atavistic in, in the sense that it's governed by the idea that the United States is going to be able to remain roughly as hegemonic as it was in, in control of the world in the 1990s and 2000s. But if you look at the material bases of U.S. power, it just it just isn't that way anymore. If you look at like the 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 um, amount of global GDP that the United States and the G7 countries control, it's just been going down for for basically decades. Um, so whereas in an, in a rationalist polity, or even let's say in a democratic polity, which I don't think we really have here. You would have some discussion about this fact, right? Like the material conditions have changed, so the U.S. approach to the world has changed. But Biden, um, for a variety of reasons, I, I think his age is one. I think the people who he chooses to put in office is an, another, uh, essentially acts like nothing has changed. Um, and so you you have this, you know, confrontation, quote unquote, with China. What does that mean? It basically means that the United States is going to be forever able to station troops on China's border from now until forever. Um, you get the 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 war in Ukraine, which I, I find it personally hard to connect to any solid U.S. interest. Uh, and if Europe wants to support, you know, Ukraine, that's fine. Europe is very rich, and they should do so. So you basically have this literally Cold War foreign policy going forward um, without any recognition that the world has changed. Uh, so that's where I stand on that one. Yeah, that's 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 a great point. Um, 20 years ago, there was a big celebration, 30 years ago, in U.S. media that finally the world was unipolar, you know, and uh, USA finally could unchallenged astride the colossus of the planet. Um, and 
Uh, Biden is, I agree, Biden very much locked into that, not only as a personal uh, proclivity, but he represents a big part of the corporate military intelligence complex. I mean, God knows it's incredibly lucrative. And so when Biden came in, he gave a speech that at last the United States, this was his phrase, um, the United States again will, quote, sit at the head of the table, unquote, of the planet. And this is just like really uh, perfect. And, and of course, has its roots in the uh, Clinton wing of the party. When Hillary Clinton ran in 2016, she gave uh, a big speech to the American Legion Convention right before the November 16 election. And she said that the United States, she hauled out the chestnut and really banged on it. The U.S. is the one, quote, indispensable nation, unquote. And it's been pointed out, but not very widely, that if you look up the word indispensable, almost none of it applies to the United States. I mean, what is indispensable on the planet for the United States? I guess, as Medea is pointing out, you know, arms dealers and arms buyers, but the world could get along very well without the USA in almost every way. Thank you. Could do better, right? Yeah. The idea that we can sit and have people continue to talk about how they are making an impact on climate change or global warming, while you have the military in sitting in a juror's box up front, you know, the again, I mean, it just, I, I, I was sort of talking to Katie about this before. It's like, part of me is like, is it just, is the bullshit getting bigger and bigger or am I just getting older and have heard it over and over or is it the combination it is at the point where it's just like the the selective bullshit you know there's so much pandering obviously that goes into that but you know the idea that biden can go up there and is talking about the threat of social security being cut is you know again i mean it's just all so the hypocrisy the joke of it all and it's very, it really is, it's just getting, I haven't watched one of these in a couple of years, to be honest, because it is just like this for me. It becomes this kind of overly emotional experience where I just, I just want to throw things out the window. But, you know, you, you, he cannot, you cannot sit there and actively talk about the things you're doing with infrastructure or, you know, the, the, the inch that you're moving the needle on climate change and pretending like you move it a mile while you have the military represented and pandered to so repeatedly, you know, during this event. It's just, it, it really is remarkable. I mean, it's just remarkable. Yeah. And who was chanting the USA, USA this time? I guess it wasn't the Republicans <laughs> that usually do that. I guess that was coming from the Democrats. You know, you're, you're giving me a flashback because us Bernie delegates in 2016 in Philadelphia, ah, right. when we sprung on, um, was it Leon Panetta? Yeah. It just felt like he sat down in his living room and all of a sudden people were shouting him down. He was like, the video of it is great. It's like, What's going on? These were my uh, my friends, and there's some of them. They're chanting "No more war." And then they had a general a day or two later. The same thing going on. And the second time, they were ready for us. You know, I'm proud that the California Bernie delegates would help to initiate the the chants "No more war." And the next night, when the general talked, they were ready, and they drowned us out chanting "USA." So I guess they're still drowning us out. <laughs> 
You know, one thing that strikes me at these states of the union in general is that, um, of course, whoever's in power has to make like everything is great for the American people. And so you get this disconnect between what's actually happening in your life with the rents being too high, with the not having living wages, with people living on the streets, with uh, all of the dysfunction of U.S. society. And yet you're hearing how great everything is. And I also just want to say, because I'm a little tired, I just got back from Cuba today. And it is just criminal what the Biden administration is doing and the economic warfare that this country is waging on countries, not just big countries like China and Russia, but on little countries like Cuba that can't fight back, that don't have the alternatives and where it is causing people's lives to be so miserable to hear Biden talking about, you know, how we're helping people around the world and we're stopping Im- illegal immigration and that kind of thing. I mean, in the case of, of Cuba, especially, we are causing massive immigration by our policies. And when Kamala Harris says that she is creating a getting becoming so successful at going to the roots of the problem of immigration and knowing that in Cuba, the root of the problem is a brutal, brutal U.S. economic blockade that Biden has enforced during a a COVID pandemic and post-COVID pandemic where countries have not recovered is just so shameful. And I know, you know, that this is not something that's going to come up in the State of the Union address, but people should know about economic warfare that the Biden administration is engaged in uh, and how harmful it is to ordinary people uh, and not particularly to governments. It doesn't change government, whether you're talking about Cuba or Nicaragua or Venezuela or Syria, whatever. Um, But it, it certainly hurts the people terribly. Yeah. And Medea, I know you have to go soon because we're running behind because Joe Biden was running behind and you're exhausted because of your trip. But I just want to ask you to tell people to share with us what Code Pink is working on, what you're working on. Also, highly recommend your book, Ukraine, Making Sense of a Senseless War, that you co-wrote. But tell us what Code Pink is doing right now. Yeah, well, I'm in the midst still of this. I think it's an over 50 city book tour now, and I'm leaving again tomorrow on the road. And I just think it's so critical that we build up a movement that says no to this war. More and more evidence has been coming out about how the U.S. stopped negotiations that were happening at the early, in the early stages of the war, where it could have ended, where a solution could have been founded. And now it just wants to bleed Russia. And we're giving over $100 billion that could be used in uh, reinforcing Uh, government programs that are so needed at home and addressing the climate crisis and instead pouring that money into an unwinnable war in Ukraine. So that's uh, the the key thing that I'm working on right now and uh, hope that more and more people get involved to actually do something about this and they can join us at peaceinukraine.org. Great. Thanks for having me on, Katie. Nice to be with you all. Of course. Thanks for joining. Hi, Medea. Thanks again for listening to The Katie Helper Show. 
to hear the rest of that discussion, please join the Patreon at patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. Again, that's patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. If you like the show, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. And as always, we remind you that this show could not happen without the support of our listeners. Our show is produced by me, Katie Halper. Brad Bloom is our audio engineer and an associate producer on the show. Our researcher is Joshua Bregman. And our theme song is by the band Cordova. See you next time. <laughs>